the moment Scott Steiner returned to WWE at the Survivor Series in 2002, it was electric. It's easy to forget now how exciting it was when WCW's biggest stars started to arrive in the company. In the early 2000s, it was still a huge novelty to see the likes of Big Popper Pump in a WWE ring in Madison Square Garden. Steiner arrived too late to participate in the botched WCW-ECW invasion angle from 2001. That storyline was perhaps one of the biggest disappointments ever in professional wrestling. Like so many other fans at the time, I'd followed all three major American wrestling promotions throughout the 1990s and I had a real sense of affection for WCW despite its many flaws. When Vince McMahon purchased the remains of WCW in March 2001, there was a great hope that he would continue to run it as a separate brand or that we would at least get to see the interpromotional matches that we'd always dreamed of throughout the 90s. But matches such as Sting vs The Undertaker and Goldberg vs Steve Austin never happened. Those wrestlers were still signed to Time Warner, WCW's former parent company. And so the WWF presented a watered-down version of the interpromotional war that we'd all been looking forward to, with WCW wrestlers far beneath the main event level of Sting and Goldberg. By the end of 2001, the WWF wrapped up the so-called invasion angle, and I was both saddened and relieved at the same time. The most anticipated storyline of all time limped across the finish line. WCW was finally dead and buried. Afterwards, I really wondered how much better the invasion would have been if the likes of Ric Flair, Hulk Hogan or Scott Steiner had been involved, because they were the real superstars of WCW. As those massive contracts with Time Warner began to expire, it was possible for WWE to negotiate directly with those genuine wrestling megastars to join the fold, and gradually, over the course of the next decade or so, they would all, in most cases, re-debut with WWE after years away from the company. WCW legend Ric Flair was the first of those superstars to appear. They handled his return absolutely perfectly with the love and respect he deserved as one of wrestling's true icons. Ric Flair's run in WWE in the 2000s would see his career continue to flourish first in this on-screen role as co-owner of the business and later as part of the Evolution faction. In early 2002, fans were shocked when Vince McMahon introduced the New World Order. Nobody ever thought they would see the NWO in the WWF, and it was a truly thrilling sight to see Hollywood Hogan, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall back in a WWF ring. By November 2002, the excitement amongst the fans was at a fever pitch as to which former WCW superstar would be next signed to a contract by Vince McMahon. On November the 17th, 2002, there were 17,000 fans inside Madison Square Garden and they exploded as Scott Steiner made his return. Matt Hardy and Chris Nowinski were in the ring cutting a promo and they looked on with wide-eyed shock as the genetic freak of nature himself 
himself, Big Popper Pump, made his entrance. Steiner would end up destroying both men, clotheslining and suplexing them out of their boots. This goes to all my freaks in New York City! Big Papa Pump is your hookup! Holler in the air The dying days of WCW had only a few bright spots, but Scott Steiner was definitely one of them. His main event push was one of the good things that happened at the end of the company's life. Those positive memories came flooding back as Steiner entered WWE. It seemed as though McMahon was going to use him correctly. Steiner made a massive impact on the crowd at Madison Square Garden. Even though Steiner's rise to prominence as a singles wrestler and main event player had come about in WCW, the rival company. Those fans in attendance all knew who he was, and they all knew he was a total badass. This wasn't Scott Steiner's first appearance in WWE. He'd wrestled for the WWF as part of a tag team with his brother back in the early 90s. The Steiner brothers were one of the mid-90s most fearsome tag teams where they worked across both WCW, ECW and Japan. Their hard-hitting wrestling style put genuine fear into their opponents and gained them huge respect. When the Steiner brothers came to the WWF in 1993, their wings were clipped by Vince McMahon, who was trying to market his product directly towards children at the time. The Steiner's run in the WWF between 1993 and 1994 was unremarkable, and the team would move on within a couple of years. However, it's interesting to note that Scott Steiner was being considered for a main event singles push even back then. Pat Patterson was the WWF talent relations officer. Both he and producer Bruce Pritchard were enamoured with Scott's look and athletic ability. They suggested to Vince McMahon that Steiner should enter the Royal Rumble in 1993 as a surprise entrance and win the entire thing. Winning the Royal Rumble would have propelled Steiner into the main event of WrestleMania 9 and beyond, instantly making him a main event superstar for the company. McMahon eventually vetoed the idea, despite the fact that he and his team were struggling to find a reasonable main event for that year's WrestleMania. Scott wasn't really into the idea either, saying that he would rather stay in the tag team with his brother. The Steiners would end up back in WCW, where they were allowed to wrestle the more violent, hard-hitting style that they became famous for. The lack of depth in WCW's tag team roster would end up being the death of the Steiner brothers as a duo, and Eric Bischoff saw more promise in both men as singles wrestlers at the time. Scott came out of the split really well off, as he joined the NWO when it was becoming white hot in February 1998. By 1999, Scott Steiner had adopted not one, but three new nicknames, Big Popper Pump, The Genetic Freak, and The Big Bad Booty Daddy, all adding to his new persona of Ultra Alpha Male. Steiner had even bulked up and cut his hair short. He could have been a totally different man. Steiner had paid his dues in wrestling, and now should have been the time for him to ascend to the main event in WCW. However, in 1999, WCW's glass ceiling meant that no new main eventers were being made, while Steiner would have been the perfect fit right then to become the top-line heel in the company, he would end up stuck in the upper mid-card until late 2000. 
As WCW tried to rebound at the end of the year, they were starting to become willing to try new people in the main event and Steiner would be elevated to the status of number one heel. Steiner was undoubtedly one of those bright spots in the final days of WCW as he became World Heavyweight Champion. He seemed genuinely unhinged and dangerous and it made fans wish that Steiner had been brought up to main event level two years earlier. He was one of the most effortless heels the wrestling industry had ever seen. This short, violent run up until the end of WCW in March 2001 was what made Scott Steiner such an appealing prospect when he appeared in WWE a year and a half later. WWE notified the world that the genetic freak had signed a contract on an episode of Confidential and they did a great job of reminding everyone that he was a big deal. In the storyline, Raw General Manager Eric Bischoff and SmackDown General Manager Stephanie Stephanie McMahon competed for Steiner's services, both wanting him to appear exclusively on their brand. They really put Steiner over as being a huge megastar, the hottest ever free agent. Stephanie tried to bag Steiner's services by suggesting that she might become one of his so-called freaks, while Eric presented Big Popper Pump with a bunch of strippers backstage. Not only were WWE putting Steiner over as a big deal, they were also allowing him to inhabit almost the exact same persona as got him over in WCW, which was unusual for Vince McMahon, who almost always has to change and mould wrestlers in his own image upon their arrival in his company. In the end, it would be Eric Bischoff who would sign Steiner to a contract to appear on Monday Night Raw. Unfortunately, things would go south very quickly from here, as his first feud was against Triple H. It was during Triple H's reign of terror, the period of WWE history, where he was literally handed the World Heavyweight Championship by Eric Bischoff, and then he went on a rampage, squashing every opponent in sight. If Triple H wasn't defeating perfectly talented opponents and holding them down, he was cutting droning 20-minute promos at the start of every Monday night on Raw. Hunter's rampage involved him beating the likes of Rob Van Dam, Chris Jericho, Kane and Booker T, even his best buddy, Shawn Michaels, couldn't escape from his wrath. He might as well have changed his name to The Undertaker because he buried everyone. When it became apparent that Steiner was going to be the next opponent for Triple H, many fans feared the worst. The December the 16th, 2002 episode of Raw was Triple H Appreciation Night. The night before, at the Armageddon pay-per-view, Triple H had regained his world championship from Shawn Michaels. Triple H cut one of his rambling promos where he listed all of the people he'd beaten, and the fans breathed a sigh of relief when Steiner's music hit. Steiner got in the face of Triple H, telling him that he hadn't ever beaten the Big Bad Booty Daddy, and his contract stated that he would get a World Heavyweight title shot. It was a really good start to the feud, a simple setup that just made sense, and we knew immediately what the beef was between these two guys. Steiner's promo was as intense as any of his WCW promos had been, and it didn't feel too tightly scripted. Yes, Steiner was going to be a good guy, a babyface here, unlike in WCW where he was a heel, but the fans wanted to cheer him, 
Very briefly, fans felt like Steiner in WWE might be okay after all. However, things would go quickly downhill from here. Steiner and Triple H started to do pose downs against each other and then there was an arm wrestling contest that was particularly memorable for all the wrong reasons due to their comedic facial expressions and the fans just weren't interested in this boring stuff at all. Even without the hilarious faces being pulled, pose downs and arm wrestling contests just do nothing to involve the fans emotionally. They were just really boring segments to sit through. After all this nonsense, the entire myth around Scott Steiner has been a badass and a killer was starting to fade away, and the momentum in the feud was gone before they'd even had their first pay-per-view match. As the feud continued, Steiner's promos and interviews became more tightly scripted, and he lost the spontaneous intensity that he'd become famous for in WCW. Triple H's defence of the World Heavyweight Championship against Steiner at the Raw Rumble 2003 was borderline unwatchable, dragging on for 17 minutes and it felt like an hour. It was obvious that Steiner was having a hard time keeping up and the fans had totally turned against him during the match booing relentlessly. They weren't happy with the DQ finish either, which saw Steiner win the match after Triple H used his sledgehammer. 17 minutes was an unnecessary match length and WWE should have catered towards Steiner with a shorter amount of time for him to work. The match was so bad it won the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Award for Worst Worked Match in 2003. Of course, the finish to the Raw Rumble match meant that they would set up a rematch at No Way Out, which was the next pay-per-view on the calendar just so Triple H could get his win back. The match was not good but less bad than the Raw Rumble match and it only went on for 13 minutes. Triple H pinned Steiner for the three count to retain his World Heavyweight Championship and that would be the end of Steiner's main event career in WWE. He didn't even appear on the WrestleMania 19 card a month later. Steiner would slide down the card and was lodged firmly in the lower mid card until August 2004 when he was released from his contract. Steiner would have benefited from working against a young Brock Lesnar for example or even Kurt Angle over on SmackDown. Both Lesnar and Angle would have worked to rein in Steiner's weaknesses in the ring and would have probably made him look pretty good as well. Triple H was never the kind of wrestler that could easily make his opponents look good and Steiner should have been kept away from him. When Steiner was signed by WWE, he was still suffering from nerve damage in his foot, which was an injury he picked up at the end of his run in WCW. WWE were well aware of this injury before they signed him. He found out about it six months before he signed the contract. And while the injury didn't stop Steiner from wrestling, WWE should have booked matches around the injury. If he was booked in short matches where he could just suplex the crap out of his opponents, just like they did with Brock Lesnar when he returned to WWE in 2012, they could have built him up as a monster on a winning streak and that would have been ideal for him. After his time in WWE, Steiner had surgery to repair his foot, leading to him being able to perform longer, more athletic matches when he appeared in TNA Wrestling. TNA gave Steiner the opportunity to work on his own terms, proving his critics wrong in 2006 when he worked a programme with Samoa Joe, putting the younger star over in compelling matches. Scott Steiner was a huge investment for WWE at the time and he should have been protected 
and utilised in a smart way. It doesn't take a genius booker to make a superstar with as much upside as Steiner look good despite his limitations in the ring. They've certainly done a lot more with a hell of a lot less in the past.